Here's a brief important message for listeners like you. Help Happy, Sad, Confused stay free to download by just completing this short anonymous survey. I promise you guys this will take no more than five minutes of your very valuable time. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of both my podcast and, of course, listeners like you. And as a bonus, listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. I promise you guys we're not going to share or sell your email address. We're not going to be sending you email unless you win the $100 gift card. So just go to podsurvey.com slash happy. That's podsurvey.com slash happy. Take the survey and get a, get a chance to win a free Amazon gift card. 100 bucks, guys. It's a no-brainer. Hello, podcast enthusiasts. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, your host on this weekly interview show where I talk to some of the most talented actors and filmmakers making movies and TV, and in this case, both. My guest this week is the remarkable John Stewart, who, of course, for, I think, going on 15 years, has been dominating uh, the airwaves with his amazing uh, hosting duties on The Daily Show, which is as strong as ever. Hopefully, he'll be continuing on that show for years to come. But now John has turned to a new realm. He's been in films before, as of course, as an actor, but you know, never to you know, amazing results. And John would agree with that. And he does, in fact, kind of agree with that in this podcast interview. But in recent years, John decided to tackle writing and directing his own film. And the result is Rosewater, which is now out in theaters. And I highly, highly recommend. I've seen this film twice. It is uh, a great piece of work. It is, um, it's a fascinating story. It's based on it's a based on a true one that that actually involves the Daily Show. It's about Maziar Bahari, who's an Iranian journalist who is imprisoned, in part, I guess, because of a a tongue in cheek interview he did with the Daily Show. Jason Jones. This incident is actually depicted in the film. It's a it's a it's it's not what you would expect. I mean, it's it's a story about a man imprisoned. It, it does involve torture, but has surprising humor. Maybe not so surprising, given that John Stewart is behind it, but it's uh, it's well worth your time. And I, as I said, I recommend it highly. John is uh, is somebody that I have a feeling will, I, th- I hope, we'll be seeing him direct and write more. Uh, given the reception to Rosewater, I think that's probably something that he's thinking about uh, in his non-abundant free time from The Daily Show. Anyway, this was an amazing treat. John Stewart obviously doesn't really need to do much press. The Daily Show is is so. Uh, beloved, he hasn't really, you know, had to do these long form kind of interviews uh, in a while. But you know, he's he's pressing the flesh. He's doing his thing to get the word out on Rosewater. And uh, I uh, I obviously went hard after this when I knew that he was going to be doing some press, and I was so thrilled that he agreed to it. And and the folks behind the film uh, made it happen. So my thanks to everybody involved. He is, as you would expect, hilarious in this interview. Uh, and it's a nice, relaxed conversation about the genesis of this film, but also a great many other things, including his film work, his acting work, his beginnings, 
his roots, his love of baseball, uh, and uh, it's just a good old time. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. I certainly, uh, it's it's definitely a highlight in the last few years to to get to sit down with an amazing talent like John Stewart. As always, guys, hit me up on Twitter. Joshua Horowitz is my handle. Go over to wolfpop.com, check out past episodes of Happy Sad Confused and all the other cool episodes, or rather shows, on the Wolf Pop Network. And uh, go on the message boards. We've got message boards over there, so, you know, Make your voice heard. Uh, let us know what you're thinking about the show and all the shows on Wolf Pop. In the meanwhile, it is time for this fascinating and funny conversation with the great John Stewart. I have never karaokeed in my entire life. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I've never done that. You don't. You've ne- literally never karaokeed. Like sang a thinger? No. Wow. I think yeah. that's a good place to start. We're off and running, sir. Oh, wait, we're on the... Yeah, it's happening. That's but on the record. I, but I didn't even shower. <laughs> I feel foolish. You should know, yeah. not only are our images being captured, but, but, you're, but you're also on a podcast. We're, we're doing double duty here today. I'm, so. I'm being podcasted right, right now. Do you feel it? In your uh, you, bones? You kids with the new technology. <laughs> it's, it's, in my day, uh, we used to have a telegraph. And we would, you would ask me a question, tap, 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 stop. I would answer, tap, 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 stop. Right. Uh, and that's how we, uh, that's how we did things. It seemed very entertaining. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't very horrible. <laughs> Congratulations Pretty on this film. Though. Thank you. This is awesome, man. Uh, Thank you. Talk to me a little bit about, like, growing up, was this ever on, like, the list? Like, to, when you, when you were a kid, I mean, you probably wanted to be many things. Was mm. making a film, was being a filmmaker as opposed to being a performer ever? No. I don't, I don't recall that being on the list. I recall playing shortstop for the Mets on the list. <laughs> uh, I recall dunking once in my life, uh, on the list, but this wasn't, this wasn't one of them. So if this. I'm giving us young Jew dreams. I figure we can relate on that. Yeah, I was just gonna, this is probably the Jewiest yeah. podcast I've ever done. This may be about the Jewiest thing anybody's ever done. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's a half-eaten bagel over there. If I put that over here, we might get sucked in some weird Tel Aviv wormhole <laughs> and just end up doing a horror somewhere. <laughs> We'll all be lifted up on our chairs and carried around the room. I'm Israel, I'm Israel, I'm Israel. Hey. Welcome to Gefilte Fish today. Yeah, boy. Jeez. What, thoughts on Gefilte Fish, by the way? It's inedible, right? Do, 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 have two Jews ever sat in a room discussing an Iranian prison drama like this before? <laughs> We're breaking new ground. All right. Um, if this one doesn't happen, and it happens in a very, you know, not a non-typical way for a film, I mean, do you think you would have made another film? Was, was oh, the, the uh, circumstance that led to this one? I mean, I think it's all in the same way that, you know, from stand-up to maybe uh, uh, expanding the form into television or doing some of the books from the show. Or, you know, I think ultimately you, you end up learning different aspects of telling stories and doing it through narrative or doing it visually and all that and, and end up expanding into other yeah. mediums. But it's not an alien process, I don't think. It's sort of an organic evolution. So when you start to sit down to write it, does it not feel alien? Does it feel like, okay, I... It does not feel alien. Because it's not, you know, if it were an, an album of songs about Iranian prisons, then I think it would have felt alien because that's a language that I have no fluency in right. whatsoever and I have no ear for. But narrative, dialogue, uh, these are the types of things that I, I sort of traffic in every day in a, a much uh, less meticulous way. But it's it's not alien. I'm curious, like, do you, the, you know, expectations like on a film like this are they? Is it bigger the ones that you, you're putting on yourself? Or are you more worried about 
perception from other people looking at a first film from you no. and expectations or your own? Are you worried, yeah. like, am I going to be able to execute this? And get yeah, it right? that's exactly it. You, you're worried about whether or not you're going to be able to execute it. You can't control it. You know, I've been, I've been in this long enough to know that uh, uh, once you grant the power to people's perceptions of you, 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 you have no control over that whatsoever. So right. it's why? Why worry? So talk to me a little bit. What's the genesis? When, when do you start to actually sit down to write this? And You know, when I was your age, I listened to a band called Genesis. <laughs> Big fan. It was a wonderful band. Phil uh, Collins. Phil great. Collins, who now collects uh, Alamo paraphernalia. Is that true? Yeah, he really does. He has like the largest collection of Alamo huh. artifacts. I wouldn't have predicted that. Yeah, I wouldn't either. It's kind of a weird one. You want to spend the rest of the interview talking about the Alamo? And wouldn't Phil mind Collins? it. <laughs> no, no. Um... Okay, so what's yeah? What's the first moment that you sit down to say I'm going to actually try my hand at writing this myself? Uh, that was so Maziar and I. When Maziar uh, Bahari, who was the journalist uh, in the in the story and who wrote the memoir, when he got out of prison, he came to the states and was on the show, and then he and I became friends right. and just sort of were bouncing around, having some breakfast and things. And so we were trying to get his film into a movie, but as like. A producer, sure. You know, I was sending it. Uh, we were sending it to writers that we liked and to see, and but obviously, the time frame on those decisions was much longer. You know, people were busy. Other people who had actual money to pay them to write were doing that, and, right. and they were doing that. So I think after a pretty good amount of time, when we became a little frustrated with the glacial aspect of it, I felt that I had enough uh, insight into his sensibility insight into where I thought the story could could live structurally and and if we wanted the film to come out within our lifetimes you know we were going to have to take it up a notch so I that that's when I decided I'm just going to sit down and do this and at that point had you to do this meant writing and directing it no just writing it at that point but as as you become more and more invested in the story more that you become less willing to kind of give up the vision of that to the next yeah. The next person. What's the What's the conversation with your wife when you say the good news is I'm going to take the first extended break I've taken from the Daily mm -hmm. Show in what 15 years. Bad news is I'm going to spend it in Jordan making a film. I can't believe you just that was verbatim. <laughs> that was the conversation. <laughs> that, was <a> <laughs> that was exactly the speech. I'm in your head. Yeah, that's pretty weird. You've been reading my diary. <laughs> nice work, Josh. A lot of expletives in there. Yeah. More than I expected. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm a really a longshoreman at heart. <laughs> But, it, I mean, is that something that, I mean, you, you talk about just, it sounds like it's almost born out of the satisfaction of doing The Daily Show where you can basically have an idea that morning and execute it that mm -hmm. night. Sure. As opposed to the film business where, as you say, development hell is a very common yes. place no, for even it's, the... Yes, it's a much longer process. So from, from beginning to end of this, how long did it take to get it actually done? Uh, that's a good one. Because time, I need numbers. I need sort specific. of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I would say, if he was 2009 again, out 2010, I'd say maybe I started writing it in 2011, 2012. Yeah. So I'd say two years, probably. And soup to nuts. I heard you you, uh, you picked the brain of some people, some talented filmmakers. Yeah. Like what? Do you, so what kind of notes do you get back from J.J. Abrams when you send him a script of this? He said, "Where's the spaceship?" I go, "I, I really don't think." He said, "You're going to need a spaceship." You're going to need something. That's one thing I've learned. He, he said, he said, the one thing I've learned is you don't want people to know it's a prison until the last show. Like, <laughs> no, JJ, it's not a show. It's a, he said, no, you need people. You need that confusion. Right. It's an existential hell. It's like a waiting for Godot, but they can't know. <laughs> and you got to like, 
Don't make, how about, what if you made the interrogator just soap bubbles that appeared? <laughs> and so I said, you know, these are all valuable insights. Right. I don't Do you know have anything I, else? Yeah. I don't know if I can use them exactly that way. Right. But I feel like the spirit of them are on the screen. Generally, the, the guys that I went to, it was more about for viability. Yeah. Ron Howard, uh, you know, JJ, PTA, a few other people that, that I knew you know, were generous enough to like take a look at it, but not, I, I, I never, well, they weren't going to break down like scene one. Yeah. Here's your problem. Uh, you can't have a guy, field you can't have a guy just walk in and talk Yiddish. It's Iran. You want to, so, uh, but, but they could give me a sense of, yeah, man, this is, this has a real nice cohesiveness to it, or it, it needs to be shaped or it needs to be more visual, you know, just a general sense of what's the viability of this as a film. Yeah. I've talked to, you know, obviously a lot of filmmakers, when they go on set, I feel like they, they fall into two camps, like those that pretend that they have all the answers. <laughs> and those I did go. not do that. So what, yeah, what was your attitude on set? My attitude was from the beginning with these guys, and it's going to sound slightly Rumsfeldian, but I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I was new. And so I wanted to make sure that, that they felt trusted in their expertise and had the ability to raise flags early and often yeah. so that you know, whatever ideas I had that they thought were either too onerous, too expensive, you know, would be too difficult to produce, or we could do better iterations of, you know, that they would, you know, make sure that, that their voices were, were heard and in the process. The right. Time. This obviously, I mean, I think most people know this, this is born out of obviously a true story, obviously something that you had direct contact with. And, and I mean, obviously the incident is portrayed in the film, which is fascinating to see that you recreate this moment. That's got to be a strange moment, shooting Jason, recreating yeah. this moment with Gael. Stranger for Jason, because <laughs> I wasn't there to begin, you know, as a participant, certainly more as an observer. But Jason Jones, who's our correspondent originally, uh, filmed the interview with Maziar in Tehran, uh, where... He says, Jason in a kafia with sunglasses on says, I'm a spy, uh, so tell me. And so the Iranian government saw that and said, Oh, why were you talking to a spy? And I mean, Jay, it, you know, it'd be just, it's, it's insanity. Yeah, totally. I mean, it reminds us also, if you, if you need reminding that, you know, some of the, Places that you sent correspondence, I mean, they're, they're in danger at times, and the people they talk to are in danger at times. This is real life. This is not always... But they're in danger no matter what. That, that, that's the thing that people forget sometimes is, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a regime that is working overtime to suppress information or accuse people of, of being spies, you are going to have to invent pretense. Right. And you will find pretense wherever you need to, whether it be through, oh, that's evidence, or something utterly ridiculous something else that they do you know there's some journalists being held right now in Egypt and at their trial as evidence of them being spies they showed footage of just Arabian horses running and nobody knew why but sure they have a DVD player they might as well use it right uh, over the years have you have you gotten death threats yourself of course what is that I mean, haven't you <laughs> you're, you're gonna get you're, there you're kid think, yeah. you're gonna get there <laughs> give it time that's my goal um that can't be something you ever get used to. I mean, what? It's not as pleasant as I really like your show. I mean, that's certainly. <laughs> you would take the other column. Yeah. I, I always prefer that or do you want to take a selfie? That's always nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's preferable. Yeah. Does, um, you know, a lot of people have commented on the film that it's, it's, it's certainly, I wouldn't characterize it as a comedy, but there's certainly a, a fair amount of levity to it for a film right. dealing right. with the subject matter. And I also think the levity is, you know, 
there is absurdity there and the ability to recognize it is what kept Maziar sane and so that's why it was important to infuse the story with that kind of humor and beyond that it was his way of reclaiming his own humanity and his own power and and there's a real push to kind of a catharsis and an optimism at the end that I think the humor really plays a nice part in, in lifting people to. What's the role? I mean, obviously you grew close to Maziar throughout this. Um, was he somebody that you picked the brain up, like even during shooting or by that, that oh, time? Oh, sure. No, he was there. Yeah. He was really our, our touchstone throughout the process, you know, because, you know, I had to own a certain amount of my own inauthenticity within this project. I don't, you know, we made the film in English. Right. You know, the cast is universal. The cast is, is from many different countries. Um, but Maziar, you know, it was very important that there were certain moments where Maziar would go like, you know, uh, <clears throat> they don't actually leave the windows open. Keep I, mean, I mean, you couldn't know, but proceed. <laughs> so uh, he, it was very important to, to ground the right. film in, in a certain reality. Do you derive an extra kind of satisfaction the fact that this has gotten quite good reviews? You've kind of you've done some film festivals uh, and you're, you're you're always happier again. It's yeah. that same with the death threat question. I'm really, always happier <laughs> when people like things than when they don't. But I would think it's 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 a different kind of thing. I mean, you're you know you've been doing Daily Show for so long and mm-hmm. and it's had its ups, slight downs, pretty much ups throughout. Um, but to like be acknowledged in a different realm and to know that like, oh, right. I, this is something else I can do. I can viably do it. I'm right. presumably you're satisfied with it, which is most. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, look, I, unfortunately, I've seen it 3000 times. So it's very hard not to sit there and go. I really should have taken that music down. Just mm, wait a minute. Hold on. If I just when I was there, if I just shot it from that angle. Right. You know, uh, so you always have those moments where you, you'd like to kind of get back in there and. Yeah. Fidget. Tinker. Guys, I have an important announcement. There are tons of awesome new podcasts waiting for you over at www.wolfpop.com. Yes, the new network that I am a part of, that Happy, Sad, Confused is a part of, joins this amazing roster, including Reading Aloud with Nate Cordry, The Rotten Tomatoes Podcast, Off Camera with Sam Jones, Matt Gorley with I Was There Too, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. That's the actual name of the show. I believe it as well, but that's the name of the show with Kamau Bell and Kevin Avery. The Canon with Amy Nicholson and Devin Faraci, and many more. Check them out. They're right there waiting for you at www.wolfpop.com and, of course, over at iTunes. Check them out. Um, okay, so let's go down memory, memory lane. You ready for a second? What? You love memory lane. I know All that's right. your favorite lane, right? Oh, I used to live on memory lane. Really? Yeah. Literally? Yeah, back in glory days. <laughs> all right. Let's hear Where it. Springsteen was just exactly. playing all the time. Exactly. No, I'm just curious. Like, growing up, I mean, you know, again, I feel like if, if someone would presume to expect, like, the first kind of film from you, mm-hmm. I would expect, you know, oh, it's going to be kind of in the Woody Allen vein. It's going to be kind of like, I know that was obviously a touchstone. Right. For me, for you, for a gajillion people. Was he somebody, like, growing up that was, like, the guy to put on the pedestal? No, I don't, you know, I, I listen to a lot, uh, but I, I was not an obsessed performer or those, those types of things. I actually was probably more thought, you know, sports or science were going to be, you know, listen, I had to, I had to be reasonable at a certain point. Right. I figured baseball wasn't going to work out. Maybe chemistry would be fine. <laughs> um, so it, it's not as though that, that, that was in any way considered a viable option. I didn't come from showbiz people. Right. 
I lived in a town that, you know, but, you know, but I did love Woody Allen. I did love Steve Martin. I did love Monty Python. I did love, you know, uh, SCTV and, and Bill Murray and those National Lampoon albums, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, when did it, when, when did you know it was a viable option? What's the turning point if you can pinpoint one? Well, I mean, it, it you never really know. But I, I think it was more I was steering away from a tree as opposed to steering source something. Right. I was out of college and I was living in Jersey and I was bartending in a couple of places and working for the state and kind of got that feeling of like, oh, so this is dying. <laughs> um, and it was that sense of if whatever it is I feel like is inside me is going to get out, I am going to have to actively force it out. Yeah. And, and make that decision to, to alter this path. And so that was, that was really the moment. I've worked for MTV for basically eight years now. Oh, you got two more and then you're out. It's like Logan's run. <laughs> I was going to say. What's going to happen is there's a little thing in your <laughs> hand, in your palm that goes off and then they take you to carousel. And you're, and you're, and you're <laughs> I was done. wondering what Sumner Redson was injecting into my vein. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and you're done. <laughs> what, um, was that a huge deal at the time to get that show off and running? To get on MTV? Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. It was crazy. It was <laughs> MTV. You know, I was, I, I was in college when it began. I spent many a night high with a fried egg sandwich going, <laughs> Martha Quinn is a goddess. But why is Duran Duran so hungry? <laughs> Like the wolf, uh, you know, it was it was uh, an incredible cultural phenomenon. Did you did you have? I know, obviously, it went to what syndication after a year, right? Was that the deal after MTV? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, during the MTV run, was it? Did you have autonomy? Did you feel like you were doing the show you always. wanted to do? Yeah, always. Crazy. Nobody ever. Yeah, it was crazy. And the music it was crazy. What's the most quintessential MTV of that era? Because I watched, like, there's a great online on YouTube, of course, there's, like, this amazing sizzle reel of, like, four right. minutes of, like... And I actually, I watched last night the last show you did with Letterman back when it would... Oh, uh, okay. Which was great to watch. Yeah, it was fun. Um, what's the most quintessential MTV-ish memory that just, like, like encapsulates was that era, you think? Spring break in, like, you know, but I was already 30. You know, and we were down at spring MTV spring break and we were doing the shows and it was all like, you know, and it was in the heyday of like the weasel and, you know, you know, all that, uh, or that was maybe a couple of years prior. Um, and it's just sort of like, you know, you're in that outdoor concert in stone temple pile, you know, it was back when totally. it was the grunge and, and. That's, that's amazing. I was mean, just looking at it. It was like, it was like nineties meets like steam pipe alley. It was like something crazy. It's just. It was it was a little bit insane, <laughs> and and puddle of mud. Wait, after that that last show, you had Letterman on, which was amazing that he agreed to come on, and so what a you know what a vote of confidence. Did you feel like you looked pretty sad in that that last episode? But did you feel like it was over? Well, they, your shot. I don't was know if you done. know this. I'd gotten fired. No, but I know. But, <laughs> meaning like you. I mean, did how I, many people get fired and then have to tape their last day of work? We got to do that at Bacchus. That was great. Yeah, there you go. We have like a month or two to do shows. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's it's kind of fascinating. <laughs> fascinating experience to tape your last day of work and have people there just watching it. Did you think it was kind of like that was your shot and you were never going to get something similar like in that vein of a talk show of a late night show? Uh, yeah. No, I think you, you, you feel like, you know, I was still relatively new in the business and you're still riding this pretty hard. So you feel like 
in the same way you felt like, you know, the night you got Letterman, you were made. You were right. a made man. The night they canceled the show with your name in it, you you've feel like you've been <laughs> whacked. They took you in the back room and went, he's not going to work out. Uh, and so the real lesson is waking up the next day after Letterman and realizing you still have vermin in your apartment <laughs> and you're still the same height. Yeah. And waking up after being canceled and realizing you still have the ability to write jokes. Yeah. You still have the ability to go down and, and make a living and, and create and do things. And so that was incredibly freeing because I felt like it freed me from the vagaries of project to project. Right. And it made it, oh, this is a career. This isn't, these aren't just singular moments. Right. Let's talk about the illustrious acting career for a second. Glad you used the word illustrious. Whoops. Could have used the th- you could have thrown in a couple of other adjectives. <laughs> Would have been slightly less. In the in the Oscar, eighty five years from now, when you pass from this earth in the Oscar death montage, what's mm-hmm. the film clip that they're going to put in the? Uh, here's my guess. Um, they're probably. I think I'll make the montage for hosting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in this business, that, that's the one thing. I think I, I think for the most part in this business, all you can hope for is at the end, you get into as many award show montages as you can. That's what you've been working towards? And that people do this. Oh, yeah. He died? <laughs> I thought he died like five years ago. Huh. That's, that's <laughs> <What>? weird. <laughs> was Give me a sense of so like, acting in terms of, did you ever think it was like that was going to be the thing that would define you? Like were you- Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, that was one of those peripherals and, and sort of, uh, for stand-ups at that time. So, so stand-up at that time, it was sort of being defined industry-wise as like, could you be Seinfeld? Could you be Roseanne? Could you be, you know, Brett Butler, yeah. Grace Under Fire? You know, they, they were taking stand-ups that they found and like making them into stars. Right. And so that was a, it was a very sort of schism within the, the comedy industry of like guys that were stand-ups. And guys that were down there that were just trying to like get a little notice so that they could get the hell out of stand up right. and get that sitcom. So we'd always thought of ourselves as like the stand ups. We were the stand ups. So when you're doing but, film, yeah. If people came by and said, like, you want to be in a movie, you'd go, sure. But I never, I never saw myself as an actor, and I can assure you, very few people did. <laughs> so, like, when you're that. doing a scene, like, a. You know, again, I went down the YouTube lane and like see, doing a scene with like Gillian Anderson, and you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. kissing her, and there's like a Bonnie Raitt song going in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Bonnie Raitt song is not playing in the background. Right? That's, <laughs> well, that's actually the magic of <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. I always imagine in your head, Bonnie Raitt is always playing. Well, in general, <laughs> John, oh, there, there John, was another one. John. <laughs> right, come back to me. Um, did that feel awkward? That like, do those scenes feel completely? Awkward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it feels to other actors, but like, yeah, for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel awkward right now, so you can imagine. <laughs> Just hide it to all move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I, acting always felt very awkward for me. I never, I never felt comfortable with it. Mainly because I didn't feel competent. I didn't feel I had the ability to understand how to make it better. Right. How to, how to do it. So. Was there ever an impulse or a deal to like do the John with an exclamation point sitcom, like to develop a, a show around you? No, I never did that either. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I just felt like I think that. That never felt right. Yeah. Uh, postmortem thoughts on, I think it was your last like gig acting as not yourself was probably Death of Smoochie. Smoochie! I, I mean, come on. Smoochie! We can't it's still fun. Listen, here's it's, the thing. I might have been that good at it, but it was still fun. That's a good movie. 
Let's not get crazy. Hey, but it's it, a good it, movie. it was it was fun. Seriously, you don't think it's a good movie? I <laughs> You can't separate yourself. I'll say it. It's a good movie. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's I mean relative to some other things. Certainly. Yeah, it's it's certainly no disaster. It was fun as hell to make and there's a certain sensibility to it, love. Yeah. So this um at this point coming off of Rosewater, what I mean is is your head at like trying to develop more material to direct, or are you just sort of like still kind of? Yeah, I, I think right now I'm so in the middle of it that it's very difficult to because it's also you know this and the show. So between the two, I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm digesting my own muscle mass, yeah. and it's so it's it's hard to think clearly about anything until I can carbo pack and get back into you know. <laughs> does, it, does it bother you after a while, like the preoccupation with? And I'm, I'm not going to ask you the question of like sort of like what's next and oh, yeah, yeah. timeline is. But I well, know it's that's, just that's the it, only thing people ask you. It seems like I yes, think. and it really makes me. It does make you feel like what so what I'm doing is really not. Yeah, are you not? Pay, I mean, it's really not enough. <laughs> is it? You you want, you want more? Are you not entertained? How much more do you people want? Right. Um, you know, I've been going at a pretty breakneck clip for for a pretty long period of time. So yeah. Uh, and and the one thing I think people forget is you don't view your life in the same way. You're you're just living it, so you don't view it in that same kind of uh, way other people might say. So are you thinking about what's next? You you're really not. Yeah. You don't. It's it, those those types of things don't. You don't have those conversations. Or people say, you know, how do you view yourself? And you go like, uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you just sit down and think right. of? Who am I in this industry? <laughs> like you kind of just like you get up and go, what time do the kids have to be at school? Yeah, you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to live, man. <laughs> get things done. What, um, okay, so you mentioned before, going back, growing up, you were Mets. I was a Yankees fan growing up, so we have that Wish you'd said that. No, 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 no. All right. Why was it the Mets? Why, why not the My Yankees? father was from Brooklyn, and so uh, even though the Dodgers were not there anymore, you could not in our in our family effectively moved to the Yankees right and still hope to be fed uh, I feel the same way I mean yeah it's like do you have a disdain and has that stayed with you for the Yankees or are you now come to a place where you can accept us for the great uh, organization that we are it's really a just a fear and a respect <laughs> an admiration and a, an unrequited love uh, it's I, I have here's the other thing yes you know you become numb after a while when you're a Mets fan. Right. So by your 26th, 27th championship, <laughs> it really is just a dull pang. It's not, I don't hate. Right. It really resignation is. Resignation and just. Resignation and more of that sense of loss of bone density and muscle mass. <laughs> That's really how I feel. About I will it. say, though, in my own life, the basically that 15-year gap where they weren't winning was when I came of age. So I feel Sure, I'm, yeah, no, you've really suffered. You've really been through it. You've been through the ringer, man. Can't you tell? Oh. This has been a tough yeah, life. Yeah, no, that, that weight between championships 21 and 27 <laughs> must have been interminable. I can't imagine what it must have been like. I feel for you. What were the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what were the pop culture <clears throat> obsessions outside of comedy? Were you into, like... Were you like a Star Trek guy? Were you like into a big film guy just generally? Uh, you know, there was, it was... Comic books, anything like that? It was the time of, of all the coming-of-age movies, the Porkies and the, you know, Summer of 69. Like, uh, so there was, a, there was a lot of that. But I think for the most part, you know, the village people, like, 
YMCA was a huge thing. There was still like disco duck, like it was back then. You know, the Bee Gees, the the disco was a huge element, and then it, you know, the '80s were were culturally bereft. But you know, you sort of went through that right. that period. Do you find that you? I mean, do you make a point of? I mean, you're, obviously, you're so busy with what you're doing every day. Not to mention making this film, but do you, do you find that you are able to keep up with pop culture? In no, a sense? no, no, and and also pop culture uh, uh, changes and 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 morphs at the speed of light now. In a way, like it's so much more layered. It's so much more vast. Right. Uh, but but also, the older you get, the more difficult it is to maintain. A foot in that door of, of keeping up. So even for me, like with comics, yeah. people say to me, "Oh, there's this great guy I saw down the thing," and I go, "I don't know who that is." And it's 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 terrifying for me not to know comics. Like I feel the that's same way what yeah, I used totally. to be in the clubs all the time. I knew everybody that was coming up. I knew everything that yeah. was doing. And then you have all these like really talented guys that are coming up. All these really talented women, and you have no idea who the hell they are. <laughs> that being said, you did walk in seeing Taylor Swift, which I found a little surprising. It's who I am. <laughs> Speaks know, to you. I've had some tough relationships, and <laughs> she gets you through the tough times. Well, it's important to have. It's important to have somebody that knows how it feels to be alone. In our last moment together, I was when I was researching you. Uh, it's a teardrop <laughs> on my guitar. <laughs> and something's happened. Gonna to eat a chocolate bar. I just want you to know, just because I'm with MTV doesn't mean you have to have to sing. Oh, is that true? But yeah. if you want to continue, there's a teardrop on my guitar, and yet you don't karaoke. It's warm, warping my wood on the guitar because she's crying on it, and the right. salted tears warp a lot of the wood. Yep. Which is really that it's the the part of the song that they never get to. But I thought the song should get more and more out of tune as it goes along <laughs> because her teardrops. Thematically, that does make more. Yeah, right. When you say it that way. Okay. Look, um, I don't want to tell her how to do her business. No, no, no. Lastly, on IMDb, it lists an assortment of nicknames for you. I just want to ask you: Are these actually true? And I don't know. Okay, let me tell you. It says Lefty. I was left-handed, so that was okay. I'll go with that. Soupy. That high school, sure. Why? I think we all decided that uh, nicknames were an important part of, uh, you know, growing up. Right. And so, uh, so I got soupy. I, I, I don't know why that was. I'm trying to think of what the other nicknames of my friends were. What about Ken Erickson? Was Roy, oh, which was the name of his dad. I don't know why we just edgy. called him his dad's name. Uh, what was Court? Uh, you know, I I can't even remember what our. We all had stupid nicknames. Well, it lists three others for you here. It says right. Poochie. Yeah. Really? Yeah, the Pooch. Okay. Yeah. Susceptible boy. That was from the MTV days. Was it? Oh, I need to yeah. go back. Okay. I used to catch a lot of colds. <laughs> that was Beth McCarthy. That she was the director of my MTV show. She used to call me susceptible boy. <laughs> and lastly, I think I'm reading this. Is it stew beef? Stew beef? Stew beef was bestowed on me by uh, young Tracy Morgan. Amazing. Yeah. So that was, uh, uh, I believe, it went something like John Stewart stew beef. <laughs> Is that an action? Are you stewing beef? Or are you? Okay. I didn't ask. That's for another conversation. You know what? I didn't ask. I just accepted it as you would accept, you know, a knighthood. <laughs> I am stew of beef. Well, stew beef, yes, Gucci, sir. John, yes. uh, it's been a pleasure. Congratulations on the film. Thanks very you much. Nice to see it.
pop. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.